Today is the 20th of July, 2023, the sixth day of our retreat together. Whether joining online or on site, I hope that these past days you've been able to taste the flavor of Dhamma to a sufficient degree, and that this would bring you joy and lightness in your mind because of all the flavors that are available in the world, all the good and delicious flavors, they don't last very long. They can't compete with the flavor of Dhamma. The flavor of Dhamma is the best of all flavors. And when we get the flavor of Dhamma, we feel this fullness and happiness in the heart from the teachings of the fully self-awakened Buddha. As the Buddha has well expounded the teachings already, he's taught correctly, he's taught rightly, pointed the way, he's shown the way to those who are lost, he's illuminated that which is dark, opened that which is closed, and turned upright that which was overturned. When Diganaka Brahman listened to the Dhamma, his mind gave rise to luminosity and brightness. He was able to understand and accept the truth of conditioned formations, that old age, sickness, and death are normal, that everything arises and ceases like this. He was able to see arising and ceasing, just like when the Buddha taught Venerable Anya Kandanya and the rest of the group of the five ascetics, he spoke to arising and ceasing everything that is of the nature to arise is of the nature to cease. Everything that arises, everything that's born, like these bodies of ours, age, sicken and die. And, that, and also whatever feelings are arisen, whatever things that aren't material, can be feelings from the past, feelings of pleasure or pain, or feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. And we experience these feelings and we take them to be ours, take them to be self. But the fully self-awakened Buddha taught that this is Dhamma, something that arises, stays for a little while and ceases. So we see these qualities of pleasure, pain, neither pleasure nor pain, they all arise and cease. In the past, they arose and they ceased, and there's nothing left of them whatsoever. There's no residue. And all pleasure, pain, and neither pleasure nor pain in the future will arise and cease. And all the pleasure, pain, and neutral feelings in the present arise and cease. So we see them arise and cease. We see that everything, whether material form or mental phenomena, Everything in the world, in the universe, arises and ceases. The sun arises and ceases. Everything in the solar system arises and ceases all the time. And this is everything in the universe, everything in the world. All trees, mountains, lakes, rivers, oceans, land, and so on. Everything is changing according to causes and conditions. This is on the outer level. And in our daily lives, this is something that we can't avoid experiencing. And it's important to know this arising and ceasing. 
but we experience it every day. We experience arising and ceasing, but we don't actually know it. Whatever arises, we see as self, as me and mine. We take birth to be self, growing up as a child into an adult to be self, take aging to be self, illness to be self, death to be self, whether it's the death of uh, one's own body or one's relatives, one's loved ones, or those that one doesn't love. When they die, we take it to be self. This is Sakaya Didi, personality view. Indeed, Ganaka Brahman was able to accept this truth, to know that it's not self. And he praised the Dhamma of the Lord Buddha, that the Buddha having taught showed the way to one who was lost, was able to uh, you know, point the true way. This is something we can see on the outer level as an example, a GPS. It's still possible to get lost when using a GPS device. One can go up a mountain or go in circles or go into a pond or a lake and get into accidents. So people get lost like this. So you can't believe a GPS too much. Or one can get lost on a path in the forest, lost to the point where one can't find one's way out of that forest. So this is being lost in our daily lives on the outer level. Then there's being lost in terms of our thoughts and views, lost in the cycle of birth and death, that which we are lost in already. And that ignorance or that quality being lost takes us to be uh, born and dying, born and dying, cycling in samsara, whether it's in the past or the present or the future, brings us through this cycle. And we're lost every single day like this in the cycle of birth and death. It's just the sense of self arising. It's all about the self. But the teachings of the Lord Buddha teach us that it's not like that in truth. In truth, it's all changing. It's all unstable. It's all unsatisfying and stressful. And none of it has an owner. It's all not self. But we have these kilesa, these defilement, these coarse defilements in the mind. And so we still take it all to be self. We have feelings of pain or suffering, these vedana. And the mind and the sense impression get mixed together. They're not separate. We see them as one thing. We see it as my child, my grandchild, my relative. This is craving and attachment being diluted in wrong view. And so the Diganaka Brahman praised the Buddha that he was one who pointed out the way to his one who was to one who is lost, one who illuminates the darkness, opens that which is closed. And we look at something that's closed, we can't see what's inside of it. We don't know what's in there, because wrong view is covering it over. When we understand things to be self, it's just like this. When it's opened up and we see, we see what's in there. That's the arising of wisdom. That's the mind being open. Just like this body, we see, well, what is here in the body? Why is it self? When we open up the body, we see that it's not beautiful. 
before we were lost in thinking it was beautiful, but we open it up and take a look at what's inside, and we see that in truth it's not beautiful, not attractive. It's something that can't sustain itself, it can't last. It's of the nature to degrade and pass away. So why do we take it as self? So this is opening that which is closed to see it clearly, opening up to give rise to wisdom, to see it as not self. This is opening that which is closed. And the Brahmin praised the Buddha like this. It was, the Buddha was one who opened that which was closed. And he also praised the, the Buddha's teaching, or the Buddha as one who turns upright that which was overturned. Because we see if a vessel is overturned, no matter how much it rains, if the rain is light, medium, or heavy, if there is a great storm, the container will never get full. It can't fill up. This is just like these views of ours, this wrong view. The Dhamma is here, but we're not able to know it. So we have to turn upright that which is overturned in order to accept the Dhamma first. And this will enable us to become full. So this is opening that which is closed, turning upright that which was overturned, showing the way to one who is lost. So the Brahmin praised the Buddha like this, the one who taught the Dhamma. And the Brahmin was able to see the Dhamma clearly and realize stream entry. Because he listened well, he listened intently to the Dhamma. Mindfulness and wisdom arose well. Merit and faith arose. Just like for ourselves, when we listen well, mindfulness and wisdom increase, merit and faith increase. Faith becomes stronger according to its level. And in the beginning, we build parami like this first. We can ask, well, do we have faith? Uh, yes, we do. Do we have effort? Yes. And our firm intent is already to a high degree. We're applying our minds. And so we keep practicing and training the mind to cultivate mindfulness and samadhi further. Because we see that that which covers over the mind, that which makes it deluded, are these old friends, these old friends of sensual craving, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and agitation, skeptical doubt, the quality of busyness and agitation of mind, feeling annoyed, feeling anger, ill will, uh, greed, attraction, aversion, and so on. These qualities which cover over the mind to stop it from gathering together in peace and samadhi. So therefore we have to have effort and persevere because these defilements are always having effort. They're very skilled and proficient. They are arising all the time. They're well practiced. We don't want them. We don't want them to cover over the heart. We don't want them to come into the mind, but still they come because they've been training the mind. These defilements have been training the mind for a long time already. So we have to keep fighting, we can't give up. We want this freedom for our minds. We want our minds to be liberated. And this is possible. And this makes us all equals in terms of the Dhamma. Because in the world, the Dhamma 
is the same for all of us. But outside of that, in terms of worldly things, there's no equality to be found. There's no sameness to be found. In terms of the world, there has to be those in charge and those uh, that are employees or those that are following those in charge. And the various levels of status in the world and those who are in charge and those who are following those in charge, this is dependent on merit and parami, spiritual virtue. Some individuals are born into a condition of having a lot of material wealth. Some are born with only a little. Some are born with a lot of mindfulness and wisdom. Some are born with only a little. And so these differences are normal. They happen according to causes and conditions, according to merit that's been built in the past. And the fully self-awakened Buddha built his spiritual virtues to completeness. He was completely ready in all those qualities. His body was complete. He had everything, every material thing in the world. So in the world we see that there's no equality. We seek out uh, sameness or equality and it isn't, isn't there. But to find equality, we can find it in terms of having a view. Because we're all equal in terms of having the same wrong view, of being lost in self. So therefore we have to cultivate knowing, cultivate clear knowing, in order to bring the mind to achieve victory over the defilements bit by bit, step by step. We practice to see the noble truth of suffering, of dukkha. Having seen it, we don't want it. We don't want suffering. We have these experiences of hunger. We want to sleep. We can't fall asleep. The mind feels agitated and troubled. And this is all because of clinging in the mind. It's not that outer conditions or outer experiences make us like that. It's this inner, these inner qualities that cause us to suffer, which is to say the defilements. The defilements are what make us suffer. It's not any outer thing, it's not anybody else that makes us suffer. Because we see if we don't have defilement in the mind, no one is capable of making us suffer. So we see that these sense impressions, these moods arise and we suffer with them because of the defilements. If there's no ignorance, no craving, no attachment, then no one is able to make us suffer. It's like a house that's well protected. The thieves won't be able to come steal from it. Or like a company that's well managed and well looked after, the employees can't uh, steal from it. Or like a house that's protected well, then uh, thieves or bandits won't be able to come into it, won't be able to steal. But if we're heedless, then it's not safe. And we can also see the example of a body with a good immune system. Even if there is some pandemic or some diseases being spread, there's some bacteria, but still that body doesn't get sick because it has a good immune system. 
and therefore it's safe from that disease. So therefore we see that if we have mindfulness and wisdom to a good degree, it's able to protect and keep the mind under control. So we keep training the mind like this to give rise to happiness. We don't seek to harm anyone. We don't have ill will towards anyone. The Buddha compared this to a dog who's sick with mange. It goes to rest under a tree or in a cave in the open. Wherever it goes, it has suffering because it has this bacteria eating its skin. It's just like these minds of ours. We have the defilements in the mind, so wherever we go, we suffer. The defilements tell us that we're suffering because of what they did or because of them, and this brings the mind to suffer further. But we can contemplate if there was no disease, then there wouldn't be suffering. If the dog didn't have mange, then it wouldn't feel ill at ease. So this feeling of dukkha, of suffering, it's not because of external experiences, not because of sense phenomena, but it's because of this very wrong view in the heart, because of delusion. So we have to train and practice to cultivate right view, to change our views. Because today in the world, the world is always changing, trying to be better, to be newer, this is on the outer level and trying to change to be better or newer on the outer level leads to a lot of uh, agitation and chaos. So all this change in the world on the exterior level, but there's not changing the views of our minds, not changing the view of self. So we need to change these views of ours to become correct. Just like Venerable Anya Kondanya, and also like Diganaka Brahman, the other awakened disciples, they changed their views from wrong view to right view. They were able to see and attain to the Dhamma. Just like Venerable Sariputta, the right hand chief disciple of the Buddha, foremost in wisdom, with a great deal of wisdom. And then we look at the example of the foremost left-hand disciple, Mahamogalana, on great samadhi, samadhi that led him to jeto vimuti, to liberation. And Mahamogalana realized stream entry by listening to Venerable Sariputta, who himself had just realized stream entry. And after listening to Venerable Sariputta, Venerable Mahamogalana practiced for seven days and realized arahantship, full awakening, at the end of that period. Venerable Sariputta listened to the Dhamma from the Buddha when he was close to the Buddha, attending on him. And so, at this point in time, Venerable Ananda had yet to come ordain and so Venerable Sariputta was attending on the Buddha. And then the Buddha was giving a teaching to Diganaka Brahman. And Venerable Sariputta, listening to this teaching, was able to contemplate to the point of realizing arahantship. He had great wisdom. For myself, my wisdom was very, very little, truly not very much. 
when I was with Venerable Ajahn Chah, Venerable Ajahn Chah was teaching the lay people, and the kilesas came to cover my mind. I really wanted to ask Ajahn Chah some personal questions, but I was already close to a wise being, and yet still my mind was thinking that I wanted to ask him about the Dhamma. But in truth, Lumpur Chah, Venerable Ajahn Chah was already teaching the Dhamma to the lady. He was already speaking the Dhamma. He was teaching the Dhamma of the Buddha. But for myself, I didn't follow the example of Venerable Sariputta. I wanted to ask Venerable Ajahn Chah again. I wanted to listen to Dhamma again to give rise to wisdom. But then I couldn't because Venerable Ajahn Chah had passed away into Nibbana already. So therefore, I truly wasn't intelligent. I wasn't yet smart at this point because I couldn't ask my questions because Venerable Ajahn Chah had passed away to Nibbana. I wanted to ask these uh, personal questions, but Venerable Ajahn Chah already had knowing he was already teaching what we needed to hear in the Dhamma talks. And I would ask myself, well, why was I so unintelligent about this? I saw that I truly wasn't smart about this at all. So this is an example. So therefore we set our hearts on listening to the Dhamma. So whatever problems you have the great teachers already teaching about them. There's no need to ask about it. At Wat Nong Papong, Ajahn Chah's monastery, uh, people didn't come to ask him questions like that because the great teacher was already teaching about it. And you would see that when the great teacher gave a Dhamma talk, that the talk would really enter into the hearts or feel resonant with the hearts of various monks, one monk after another, according to their different uh, issues or minds that they were dealing with. So this is the Dhamma teaching of the Lord Buddha. And so we are taught to care for our minds, not to seek to harm others, not to have ill will. And having wrong view in the heart already, we practice to build a new knowing. It's just like in the present day, we have uh, computers with various computer programs. And these programs can do many things. And the program of ignorance is already here in our minds. And the program of ignorance causes us suffering. So therefore we practice to create a new program a program of clear knowing to bring about mindfulness and wisdom to be able to destroy the defilements. Because if we have this program to destroy the defilements, then the defilements can't arise. It's just like darkness being dispelled by light. When the light arises, the darkness is dispelled. And we can ask, well, where does the darkness go? Is it gone? Well, it's the same as not having it there. When the light disappears, then the darkness arises again. So that's the nature of darkness. It doesn't go anywhere. But you can't find it when there's light. It can't, or darkness can't compete with the light. 
when it's light all the time, then you perceive no darkness. When the light disappears, then darkness arises again. It's just like for the mind, one practices to build knowing in the mind. The quality of delusion still exists, but it has no meaning anymore because the light of wisdom has arisen already. And we do this by walking the path of generosity, virtue and meditation, or virtue, collectedness and wisdom. In the beginning, we're full of doubts. We seek out the texts and the books to learn how to practice. In the beginning, we feel it's difficult and we really want to realize stream entry, really want one's returnership, really want non-returnership, really want arahantship. And if we really want this, and therefore we should walk the path, walk the Noble Eightfold Path, to practice sitting meditation, walking meditation, to have effort in our practice, to set our heart on it and to strive. In this way, we see that anything that arises we teach the mind that it's unsure, it's impermanent. It's just like Venerable Ajahn Chah taught that some individuals, they experience uh, the mind becoming very bright, think that stream entry has arisen. But then Venerable Ajahn Chah taught to tell the mind that it's unsure, it's impermanent. When the mind feels very cool, it's very gathered in samadhi very well, one teaches it's unsure, it's impermanent, or the mind feels empty, completely empty of defilement. And again, it's unsure, it's impermanent. Because we practice to not be anything, to not, or that's what we practice for, to not be anything. Whatever arises, we practice not to cling to it. If knowing and knowledge arises, we don't cling to it. We keep practicing until we're completely full, completely satisfied. And at that point, there's nothing to be anymore. There's no suffering left at that point. The mind like this is a mind of joy. And to reach this point, we use higher levels of samadhi to contemplate the body to a subtler and subtler, subtler degree according to the level. And that we keep practicing, and we can look at the example of Venerable Sivali, whose parami was full and ready. When he was shaving his head to ordain, when the first lock of hair fell, he realized stream entry. He saw it as impermanent, as not self. Seeing like this, one contemplates the body with samadhi to separate out the body into the elements of earth, air, fire, and water to see it as a bundle of conditioned things. This is a method to see clearly. And one can see, for instance, the skin flake off or the hair fall out. One sees, one contemplates, gives rise to knowing. And when this knowing and wisdom arises, it's the wisdom from bhavana, bhavana maya panya. This is the mind that's bright the mind that gathers together, virtue and samadhi come together, 
and is able to abandon defilement. This is a great miracle. It's amazing. Gives rise to great rapture and fullness in the heart. And sometimes it can go on for a whole year. One's not able to do anything. It's like a tree that gives flower or that gives gives uh, rise to flower flowers blossoming. Then in the, the next year, no flowers come out at all. And when it's like that, then one is able to understand convention. For instance, in that state, one sees the sunrise. And in the past, one understood that the sun rose in the east. But simultaneous with that, memory or understanding of convention, wisdom arises and says, that's not the case, that's not true. The sun doesn't rise in the east and doesn't set in the west. The sun doesn't arise or cease at all. There's no me, there's no you, there's not anything, it's all empty, it's all dhamma. The mind sees this as conventions arise and wisdom arises with them as a pair. This happens all the time. And this can go on for one period. And this is, but then after that, one has to cultivate a parami even further to see again, to have wisdom on an even subtler level, to bring the mind to a subtler level, to understand the body on a more subtle level, to give rise to further, uh, deeper levels of samadhi until a point where one sees everything as dhamma, that Dhamma is just Dhamma. That merit is Dhamma, demerit is Dhamma. There's no self to be found in any of it. Before one took demerit to be self, whenever demerit or unwholesome states arose, one took them as self and one suffered from that. When wholesome states arose and one felt at ease, but then unwholesome states arose and one suffered again, one didn't like them. One wanted them to end because of craving, because of wanting, and this just gave rise to further suffering. But then later with wisdom, one saw this whole process as normal, that unwholesome states arising is normal, wholesome states arising is normal. Everything that arises, it's all normal. And in this way, one does not suffer. It's just like the great teachers, Venerable Ajahn Chah went to England for the first time about 45 years ago. And when he went there, he saw that uh, in comparison, Thailand was really not developed at all. And comparatively, England was very highly developed. But Venerable Ajahn Chah had wisdom in his mind, and he saw that truly there wasn't anything there, wasn't anything to it. His wisdom was teaching him all the time. He said it was like the Dhamma was going with him, the Buddha went with him, and the Buddha was teaching him all the time. So he wasn't excited about it, wasn't uh, agitated by it. Because Venerable Ajahn Chah had the wisdom not to be lost in it. So he was above uh, sense impressions and beyond uh, or above birth and beyond death, above cause, beyond effect.
The mind with wisdom is like this. The mind with wisdom is above birth, beyond death, above pleasure, beyond pain, above cause, beyond effect, beyond the cycle of birth and death. So when it's like this, when it's above birth, beyond death, above pleasure, beyond pain, above cause, beyond effect, Before, we would see things just in terms of self, that all causes, everything was all self, that uh, you were like this, I was like this, it's about me or it's about you, and wanting equality, but finding that the causes and conditions are never the same, are never equal. And this leads beings to fight or compete without end. And so we practice to have wholesome qualities, to have dhamma as well in the mind, to practice and train in accordance with dhamma, to bring the mind above birth and beyond death, above cause and beyond effect. And when it's like this, when it's above cause and beyond effect, then the mind is free. There's no suffering there. So we contemplate to learn the Dhamma, to study the Dhamma, to bring the mind to emptiness, to freedom. And when, when one reaches this point, then it's all, then it is equal, then it is the same, when it's beyond birth and beyond death. And there's this quality of sameness. It's just one place, uh, the place of Nibbana. Even the heavenly beings, the devas, are different according to their merit and parami. The Brahma gods are different according to the level of their samadhi. And humans are different according to their wealth and status and so on, as we observe in our lives. And so we want to meet with true purity of mind. And humans want equality, but it just doesn't exist. And so therefore we come to study the Dhamma, to seek out the Dhamma, to meet with the Dhamma, to bring the mind to peace and collectedness, to contemplate the body, to use samadhi to contemplate, uh, and this is called vipassana, clear seeing, to contemplate all feeling, all vedana, to contemplate it as dhamma, to know it according to truth, to give rise to clear knowing. And we can take a look and see, well, is it self? Is it me and mine? We see there's not anything that's self, not anything that's me and mine. It's just like that. We contemplate the body to see it as something not beautiful, and seeing it as not beautiful, this makes the mind beautiful and fresh and bright. And that's where beauty is to be found. It's to be found in seeing the truth, seeing the truth of not beautiful. This makes the mind incredibly bright. And so we practice sitting and walking to bring the mind to samadhi and stillness, to gather with one object of mind. This brings the mind energy and strength to contemplate the body, 
to bring the mind to emptiness. When the mind goes to emptiness, it's like the mind goes to another world. It's just like one example of going into the state for six months continuously, the mind in apana samadhi or one-pointed samadhi for six months. And during the day, the mind was in upajara samadhi, neighborhood collectedness. And was contemplating whatever there was or whatever was experienced to give rise to knowing, to see it as not self. And having this experience, the faith in the Buddha became very firm and well-established. We take again the example of Venerable Siwali. He saw his hair fall four times, and the fourth time he realized arahantship from the first time stream entry to once returner to non-returner to arahant. And he, he was able to do this because he had built his parami already. And if we want to be like him, then we have to practice in this life a lot, not to look down on others, not to have ill will for others. Because we see that the Buddha is still here, the Dhamma is still here. And therefore, may all of you cultivate a lot in this lifetime. May you be sincere and set your heart on the practice during this period of retreat to practice and train. So I, Anamodana, rejoice with all of you, very happy for all of you. And the Sangha here, very happy with all of you as well. We all rejoice and very happy with all of you on this retreat. May you all prosper and succeed in your Dhamma practice. May you come to know and see the Dhamma. May you grow in blessings.